Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling. Yes, we're back for episode 70 of the National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories podcast. It's myself, Mark, joined by... Nisha. Yeah, and Nisha, this is my last one. I know, it's really After... Sad. After 13 years of being in the museum from day one, though we haven't done 13 years of podcast, it's relatively new. Relatively edition. new, yeah. a couple of years now. Award-winning, though. Award-winning like, podcast. I'm glad the award landed while I was still here. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I the kudos with you. Yeah, I was actually thinking of taking the award. It's beautiful. It's very <laughs> heavy. You wouldn't get out the door. It is. Actually, yeah, I don't want to be taking that on the bus. Um, so I'll leave it here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not, I didn't, we didn't earn on our own as a team effort. Yeah. Because of course it's me and you today, but it we, is. we are going to be joined by Poddy in a little while. It is wonderful uh, dulcet tones. Yeah. Do you know what? And the story he's doing today, Jamie, Jamie Freeland, and the young lady. How, how have we not done it yet? I'm actually not sure. It's one of the first stories I remember coming across in the museum. Yeah, it is. It, it, I did it really badly in my early days. I, I, I think that's that must be a rite of passage then, because oh, yeah. I did it really badly as well. <laughs> um, which is not setting it up for a party to have done really badly with it, because no, he's done his usual thing. It's he, yeah. he's possibly the most quotable. Um, he likes to add in his own bits. I think he just wants to go viral. Is that he's what you been, think it he's is? He's been waiting for it. Everyone yeah. of our generation wanted to go viral. Well, I've seen him dance. I remember uh, we were over at a fest event in... Oh, where were we? Ah, we were off at a fest event. Yeah. What was the name of the place we were in? Which one? So we were the in Lithuania. One. Yeah, Lithuania. anyway. Oh, Vilnius. Vilnius, that's where we were. And actually, it's funny because the, the slogan for Vilnius is, is where is Vilnius? <laughs> um, but yes, Paddy does like to get up on the dance floor yeah. um, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a night out. So he could go viral with his dancing, but probably good. not for the right reasons. Um, but this story is, isn't it? What is, how would you classify it? It's not, it's not violent uh, enough. It's not violent. It's just it's got a kind of that classic fairy tale feeling of like coming of age tale, young man setting out into the world, overcomes hardship and lives happily ever after. It's actually surprisingly happy for an Irish story. Yeah, with no, again, it's one of those stories where there are no mortal witnesses. Yeah, it happens to him. Yeah, that's the best. We kind have of his story. word on it that it all happens that way. This was at a stage, obviously, where you wouldn't see someone. Yeah. For a while. I mean, if now if there's someone's in your life, you, you see them or evidence of them every day. With social media, there's always... If someone goes missing for less than 24 hours, it's yeah. big news. But like it's in the past, you'd... You focused on the people in your local community because those are the people you could count on. You might yeah. have friends who travelled around, but you'd see them a couple of times a year at best. Yeah. And if and really, if someone like moved away, it was a death. They used to throw fake wakes for people when they emigrated from Ireland. Yeah. Because it was pretty much them dying to the people who were there. That is that's really grim, <laughs> isn't it? And with that grimness in mind, <laughs> yeah, with that grim. Do you know what? Because there's going to be so much to talk about with this story. Yeah. So I think let's let's let ourselves get into it. Uh, so for those of you listening, grab yourself a cup of tea or coffee or coffee mm-hmm. or, or, or just water or just water. You do Tap you juice and uh, yeah, do you enjoy the story? And we'll be back in a few moments.
just to show that there is no animosity between the people of Kerry and the people of Donegal. This story comes to us from the small peninsula of Fanad in the north of that county. In an Ireland long gone, there once lived a young man by the name of Jamie Freel. Jamie was a real mama's boy. He loved his mother dearly. He worked very hard as a labourer and every week he filled the lap of his wee widowed mammy with all the money he had earned. He was happy with the halfpence she returned to him for a bit of chewing tobacco. So kind and caring was Jamie that news of his impeccable reputation reached the fairies. News of my reputation has also reached the fairies, but that is for a very different reason. Jamie's house, more of a turf cabin really, was situated in the shadow of a ruined castle. Nearby, Jamie's mother grew potatoes, and the castle had always held a kind of fascination for him, though he was not allowed to enter the place. For every one of the Celtic festivals, the windows of the old ruin lit up, and the fairies held a monster session inside. Jamie was getting to that age when a young person starts thinking about their future. So one May Eve, out of the blue, he declares, I'm going to the castle to seek my fortune, ma, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Don't be so venturesome and foolish, Jamie. They'll kill you and leave me all alone. That'll never happen, mammy. And I must go. Jamie crossed the potato field like a man who gave up the drink at Lent, crossing the threshold of the pub on Easter Sunday. As I said, the fairies knew Jamie and were pleased that he was such an upstanding character. So his mother should not have been worried. Well, still a little worried. It is the fairies after all. But not as worried as she was. You may have encountered the supreme warrior that is the Irish mother before and know that at this point she is probably picturing her son being brutally, ritually disemboweled. Jamie was invited to join the fairies in their revelry. Music was playing, the very best kind of tread. There was sing-alongs going on in all the corners. Fairies were playing cards and parlour games and if I'm honest, there was some fondling happening too. Jamie, though, ever a wallflower, sat on a flat rock and drank whiskey until late into the night. At the height of the session, a stout-looking fairy man, no taller than my arm, who had just downed a jug of pochine twice his size, rose up and spurted out, Let's go on an adventure to Dublin! Everyone was thrilled at this idea and they began suggesting that Jamie should come too. Jamie wasn't sure if he was just out for the night, or out for a two-day bender. But he must have, at some point, agreed to go, for he shortly found himself flying over Ireland on the back of a magical fairy horse, itself part of a troop of flying fairy horses. I can see my house from here, said one wit, as they passed over Letterkenny. When they arrived in Dublin, and the fairies' Dublin adventure was taking some turns for the worst, in fact it was taking a sinister turn, 
they broke into a house of a small family who lived in a mansion on Stevens Green. Jamie remembers at one point seeing the beautiful head of a young woman lying on a silk pillow. But then he fell into a drunken stupor. When he awoke, he was back on the magic horse, flying through the sky, and one of the fairies was complaining about having to carry the young woman who they had clearly drugged and kidnapped. Jamie offered to carry the young woman on his horse the rest of the way. But, and here's where things get very interesting, when he arrived at his own house, he refused to let her go. It it ain't right that you keep her, Jamie said. She is innocent and sweet and not one to be playing your games. At this point, the fairies tried transforming the young lady into various animals in an attempt to get Jamie to let go. She was turned into a dog, a stoat, a hare, but Jamie did not let her go. He just clung on to her with all of his wiry strength. All right, Jamie, said the stout fairy from before. You can keep her, we give up. But you'll have no good from her, for I will make her deaf and dumb for the rest of her life. And with a wave of his hazel wand, he did just that. Jamie entered the cabin saying, Mother, I've had the best of luck. I've brought home a fine lady. Bless us and save us, was all Jamie's mother said as she sat down heavily in the chair. Jamie's mother was delighted to see her young boy alive, but she was a bit sceptical about her new tenant, who knew nothing about the hard work it takes to survive in poverty in hard times. So Jamie was strongly encouraged to get another job, making salmon nets. The widow woman taught her new charge how to make stockings of various colours, and this added to their meagre income. The widow also dressed the young lady in her best dress, that she colourfully described as her dead dress, meaning the dress she intended to be buried in. While Jamie loved his mother even more for the kind things she did for the young lady he was now very much in love with, he thought the answer to their problems was not, unsurprisingly, more work, but rather getting the young lady back her abilities of speech and hearing. So when Lunasa rolled around, he went up to the castle to spy on the fairies. They were having their usual chaotic party, and were also laughing heartily at the idea that Jamie Friel believed he had saved the young lady, who by now must be a serious inconvenience to him. But then, unknowing of Jamie's spying, one of them, laughing, said, He doesn't even know that three drops out of this glass in my hand will give her back her absent senses. (laughs) Jamie dashed out from behind the ruined wall and ran at the little fairy man. He grabbed the little glass and ran home carefully, trying his best not to spill a drop. The young lady trusted Jamie completely and so drank willingly from the tiny glass. Her first words were, I love you, Jamie. Now please, please, fetch me pen and paper. Jamie and his mother, being illiterate, had no need for either. 
so Jamie had to go over to the local post office the following day. The young lady wrote to her father many times but received no answer. Jamie was happy to learn that the young lady's name was Sarah. In September of that year, Jamie and the young lady walked from Fonnet, County Donegal to the steps of the mansion on Stevens Green. Jamie wore his Sunday best, but it was well covered in the dust of the road by the time they arrived in Dublin. The young lady wore Jamie's mother's dead dress, which she had done her best to clean every evening. When the servant answered the door, Sarah said, Bring me to my father, Sullivan, for she knew the man. Tell him his daughter has returned. The young lady of the house is dead, said Sullivan, and proceeded to shut the door in their faces. But Sarah put her boot in the door. Please, Sullivan, don't you recognise me? Sullivan did not, but he took pity on the pair and agreed to bring the master of the house to the door. When the fairies had kidnapped Sarah, they had replaced her with a fake body that the people of the house had buried. The master and mistress of the house had buried their daughter, weeping for days after the dirt was piled on the coffin. You are an impostor, they said at first. If someone you thoroughly thought was dead appeared before you, how do you know you would recognise them? Would your brain be able to process that the person you thought gone now stood before you? To say it took a lot of convincing from Sarah is an understatement. She had to show them the necklace gifted to her by her mother and the mole that grew on the back of her neck. But eventually, joyfully and in tears, the master and mistress of the mansion on Stephen's Green accepted that their daughter was very much alive. What was harder to accept was that the daughter of senior Dublin socialites was very much in love with a potato picker from Donegal and that soon his mother would be coming to live with them too. When Mrs Friel saw the fine mansion that she would spend the rest of her days in comfort in, she thought to herself, how glad she was Jamie hadn't taken her advice that night. But being an Irish mother, she would never let her son know that. And we're back from that story, and I didn't do enough with my time uh, while that story is being told. Despite having heard that story quite a few times, I just listened to it. Yeah. I said I wanted to run off and get some chocolate. You were adamant about it. Um, and yet I didn't. I just well, got... As soon as Pawdy's dulcet tones kicked in, you found yourself glued to the seat listening in, as we all were. Yeah. It's a wonderful story. Of course, Pawdy managed to mention Kerry in a... How, how, many, how many seconds? Did but how... Mentioning Kerry just to say that Kerry basically has nothing to do with this story is just... Well, if anything, it's implying that there's a deeply held rivalry between Donegal and Kerry, which I was hitherto unaware of. If it was a peacemaking process, then I don't think it was that successful. It's just reignited the enmity, to be honest. Especially when it's referred to, like, that... 
county. <laughs> well, in fairness, isn't Donegal that county, the one we kind of forget is here because there's about me. two inches of it connected to the Republic? Not me, not me. I'm all, uh, I'm all, all about Donegal. Donegal. Yeah. Ball the Ulster it. Folk Park. You did, yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah, in, in Aroma. Green and um, No, I'll be honest, it's football special. Fair. Yeah, room temperature, uh, poorly flavoured soft drink. That's what I'm all about. It does so. have the prettiest accent in the country, though. It also apparently has one of the prettiest landing strips, and by that I mean for aircraft. Okay, my mind went elsewhere, but go on. Yeah, uh, now it's got one of the prettiest landings in the world. Oh. It's kind of like a spit out into the sea. Yeah. Um, I've landed in the sea. I was on one of those seaplanes. Oh. There was a, a, a piece of the floor missing. You could actually see out the bottom of the plane. Oh, cool. Did not fill me with confidence. No. Uh, but that wasn't in Donegal. Actually, speaking of that, isn't that, like, we kind of gloss over it, but isn't that kind of a terrifying thing? No matter how drunk you are, like, imagine Jamie Friel. He's gotten on the magical flying fairy horse and they're going up and up into the stratosphere. Can you imagine that, like, those, that odd moment of clarity you get in between the drunken haze? He suddenly just looks down and realises that all that's separating him from the earth thousands of miles below is a probably fictitious horse. Yeah, and, and, and his grip. His grip of the of that fictitious. There was no mention horse. of a bridle, so I'm imagining he's just like clung on around bridle. the neck of the horse for dear life. We didn't have seatbelts until well into the nineties. Uh, that's because seatbelts were a Protestant invention, and they know it. Okay, well we don't put seatbelts on horses anyway. Uh, Maybe we should. Maybe that was what was missing in that form of transport. Maybe no. that's why it died out. You wouldn't get me near a horse anyway. I don't trust them. Like Lenny and they're too big. Like, give me yeah. a cow over a horse any day of the week. Nice donkey. I love a donkey. I do love a nice donkey. Still getting very reminiscent. I remember the time where me and Paddy uh, were there and we electrocuted a donkey. Oh, yeah. That was fun. But back to Jamie Friel. Back to Jamie Friel. Jamie Friel and the young lady. The nameless young lady. I'm forgetting now. Is this another case where we've had to supply a name to a nameless female? Or is she actually named? She's not named in the written account, to my knowledge. But Paddy being the... Gentleman. The gentleman, the ambassador of equality, um, you know what I mean, has, has, has given a name. And by giving her name, giving her power. Yeah, I felt there was a lot more agency to her than in the traditional version, which I'm familiar with, which is nice. Like putting the foot in the door, demanding that she gets in. Yes. Yeah, yes. who, who the hell was this guy like if I'm familiar with how servants operated in the houses of the gentry this guy would have pretty much raised her no but it's, it's an interesting one where you actually give her a bit of agency at the end because she's such a passive player in the original and even Jamie himself he's kind of like taken along on the swing of the adventure until that point when he's coming back and he makes the decision to save her. Up till then, he's taken no control over it. No. And I think it's that's the interesting turning point of the story where he starts to take his own agency and starts to take control of his life. I think that's where we get that nice coming of age feel to the tale. That's when it becomes a story. Yeah. That's when I think, when, because if, if you don't have that, there's nothing really to tell. It'd be like just like watching war just flow along. But, yeah. but it's, that, it's that interruption in it that kind of changes the pace and makes it a very tellable story. And I think that you get that sense of the fairies just being part of the environment in this story more than a lot of them. Like, they know Jamie. They know him by name. They were expecting him to come along. And they're grand with him gatecrashing the party. Like he was just, he's one of the local lads. They bring him in and then he betrays them. If you actually yeah. look at it from their point of view, they nicely invited this guy along, gave him some booze, gave him a free lift... 
went off on a madcap adventure and he takes the woman back for himself. Yeah, that's not that's not right. No, I did he slightly does, objectify her there, but we that's that's that. fine. I mean, you're not potty. I don't hold you to the same standards. Um, but yeah, again, how potty hands again. There's just so many lines in that story that kind of just take off one. But back to them, the kind of it being a shared environment with mm. with, with with the she. Uh, they are called the good neighbors, though, yeah. for a reason. Yeah. The whole kind of idea is that we do share the land with them, and and at times, like with any kind of mm-hmm. you know sharing of anything or. When you're like sharing a border with someone, there's always mm. going to be tensions. Tension, yeah, a little bit of tension, and it needs. And to the bring. tensions always, and that, like a lot of the stories always arise at those kind of liminal cross point spaces between where their world and ours meets. It's, yeah. it's, it's like that Robert Frost and good walls make good neighbors. Mm. If you're trespassing too much onto their side, things can go bad for you. But they're an ever present part of the environment, and if you know how to deal with them, they'll be great friends. Yeah, I suppose it's a great cautionary tale, and it does. I mean, the stories were about teaching people to respect the world around them. So, I mean, it serves its it serves its purpose in that regard. I also like how they're just a little bit thick in this story. Yes, they're just there at the end. Oh, thank God, Jamie doesn't know that the magical cure for the woman is in my hand right now. I also liked Potty's description of one of them, the stout lad, no higher than his arm, who downed the jug. You know the. Uh, twice the size of a putchy. It, it was nice to see a bit of body. As a, as a short, stout man myself, mm-hmm. it was nice to see a bit of representation in there because, of course, they're they're seen as just these beautiful people in a lot of instances. But I don't know where that comes from because if you look through the vast breadth of the stories, they appear in all sorts of different ways, sometimes hideous, sometimes gorgeous, but it's a variety of different body shapes and different appearances, whereas they seem to these days just get boiled down to being like Tolkien's elves from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I, I, I tend to blame Yeats and that for kind of oh, romanticising it and the gossamer clothes and all these. It's just, no, it's not for that. The more normal you make them, then it's more likely that when you meet a stranger on the road, you're suspicious or questioning mm-hmm. who is that person. Yeah. You know? Like, like, yes, I could be one of, like, Tolkien's uh, people. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think if I met Potty on a road late at night, uh, I Potty's, the image of Potty pops into my head in so many stories. Yeah, yeah. I don't see room for her in this one, but uh, in The Man With No Story, The Three Brothers. Yeah. That's Potty. In, uh, <laughs> who's uh, James Stevens, um, The Crock of Gold. Yeah. The Two Philosophers, The Brothers. That's Potty again. <laughs> Then it happens with you as well, where it's like Tygo Kane, huh. any rogue or vagabond, that's you. He's charming, but where's the lead gone off my roof? <laughs> <laughs> but it is nice when someone paints such a picture in a story, and I think Potty does it beautifully. Where but he it is, always does, because you always feel like he was there. Yeah, but it makes it, it, does, it, makes it very easy to kind of put someone into a place, someone mm. you know. Now, in fairness now, Potty does that very well, but he also, he's very cheeky with the story. And he throws in some lines and you're going, I've never seen that written down. And uh, he's with the, and, and if I'm honest, there was fondling too. <laughs> there was fondling too. Well, uh, he, wasn't, he wouldn't be wrong. He was probably right. There probably was fondling going on. I'm sure there was, but I think it was wholly unnecessary. <laughs> unnecessary, <laughs> maybe, but I really feel it's a line that you can just toss in randomly throughout any story and improve it dramatically. If it was late, if it was early 2000s now, I'd have that set as my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> and I would not silence my phone during mass. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's a great story and it's, it's beautifully delivered mm. but what do you take as being the message from it for me I think the message is about making decisions and finding your own way he does he kind of is told to do one thing by the mother and he disagrees with it then he's told another thing by the fairies and he disagrees with it it's following his own conscience and his own internals that enabled him to get the happy ending in the end he wasn't swayed and pushed by other people so i think it's about taking your control of your own agency and your own destiny i was not expecting quite a succinct and 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 uh potent uh, I, I can, I can ramble for a bit more and hide no the no it, no you, you just because it is and that is so important you know especially now like we're like you know beginning of june you've got an awful lot of like any young people and really we've quite a young audience for our, our podcast as well who are sitting leaving certs and stuff like that and looking at and so many people get pushed into like choices that they're going to make that can potentially define the rest of their lives but listen to the advice yeah find your own way and make mistakes yeah electrocute a donkey accidentally i don't mean intentionally do, <laughs> do you know what i mean you got to make these mistakes and give yourself a chance to kind of experience these these wrongdoings these mistakes these these adventures and i think very importantly you will always know what is right for you we've all been in those situations on a horrible on a night out things have gone a little bit worse for the wear you're not really quite sure how you ended up in that situation and I think it takes an awful lot of courage to be able to just go, hands up, I don't think this is okay. I don't approve of what's going on here. I'm going to step in to stop it. We're going to put this goat back in the field. Yeah. We've all had those nights. <laughs> well, Nisha, it's been an absolute pleasure. Potty, in your in your absence, though, you're always with us. Um, I always feel like he's nearby. Yeah, it's like I can taste him in the air. Mm. Um but yes, it is goodbye for this episode. We will be back in a couple of weeks with our next instalment of the yeah. mythology. Ooh. We're continuing through the cycles. Um, but it is my final one, so it's time for me to say goodbye. And I will be engaging in future as a listener. Yeah. So it's goodbye from... Nisha. I'll say goodbye from Party. I'll say goodbye from the podcast, but a final goodbye from me. Goodbye, Mark. Enjoy your adventures. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing and sharing with a friend.